0: We all like being liked. There is not much attraction to the idea of being hated, is there? I don't think anybody gets up in the morning and thinks, I'm just looking forward to being hated today. As even one of our own poets have said, and the hater's going to hate, 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 Baby, I'm just going to shake, shake, shake. I'm trying to get the number of shakes and hates right. I shake it off. I shake it off. Who, 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 who? It's by the poet Taylor Swift. She wrote that song because she was receiving a lot of hate for various things in her life. No one should have to express the way in which people hate them in such a way as to say, please stop, I've written a song about it. friends, just like the world we live in, we wouldn't mind if people just liked us. And yet also, just like the world that we live in, we actually would prefer it if they even approved of us. People want approval in the world. We just want approval in the world. The need for being affirmed is all the more strong. It's strong and high in our agenda in our society. But of all the people in the world who understand the real human experience of what it is to be hated, it is the church. It is Christians across the world and across the centuries, even today. Yes, the world has all sorts of suppressed people. There are lots of different groups, minority groups, people who, for the, just for the very reason of who they are, what they believe, are oppressed and are hated by others. In this world full of sin, that happens. It should never be, but it does. Human evil is not a theoretical construct anymore. We got to the 20th century, pre-World War I, and we thought that if we just had better education, the world would end up in a utopian society, free of war. But then we had a war, so we called it the Great War, because it would be the war that would end all the wars, and then we'd be in a utopian society. But then we had another war. We had to call it World War II, the Second Great War, and then we'll end up in a utopian society. And then it, it just it doesn't exist, because the, the idea that there's no evil in the world, that there's no sin, that is a fantasy. No, human evil, summarised in all its forms by that word sin, is not found far from us because it is in us. And that leads to seeing lots of people in the world do the opposite of what God wants us to do. The opposite of what God wants us to do is love. The law of God is not to be thought of as a bunch of rules I have to tick. What is the law of God in a word? It's love. The law of God is summarised by Jesus in the two great commandments, which he summarised the the 10, which you could say summarised the 613 of the Old Testament, is all about love. God gives one big command, love. And what do we do? The opposite. And the manifestation of that is sin. The opposite of love is sin. And we end up hating God and people hate God's people. I want to be clear up front. Jesus knows when he says these words. We know that we are not the only persecuted minority in the world. Christians are people that are engaged in scholarship, we're engaged in understanding and wanting to measure things through statistics and all sorts of things. Most of all, we are people that want to have friendships with those who are not Christians. And we ought to be the first that say, the church ought to be the first that say about an oppression or suppression or a hating or a persecution of a minority group, that is not okay. We should be the first to say that is not okay. It is not okay that people are persecuted and tortured and killed simply for being the group of people that they are. But also, as the church around the world knows, statistically, By country, by generation, the church, Christianity, is one of the highest persecuted people groups in the world. Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Eritrea, Nigeria. Pakistan, Iran, India, Saudi Arabia, Myanmar, Sudan, Iraq, Syria, Maldives, China, Qatar, Vietnam, Egypt. I had a longer list. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to pause there, not cut it off, pause it. That is just the beginning of a list of countries that if you are a Christian... You can't do what we get to do right now with such freedom to do so. It's a long list. It's worth your time to Google it. I used to have a T-shirt. I couldn't find it, actually. I was going to wear it today. I used to have a T-shirt, and of course, it needs updating across the generations. But in 2012, the T-shirt said, the cross... This symbol, this cross, is illegal in 52 countries. All that makes us ponder John 15 verse 18, what we just read. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So here's our question this morning, if we're hated because Jesus is hated, what are we in danger of? Are we in danger of not being liked? Is that that the worst thing that could happen to us as the church? We're just not cool anymore, not relevant, we won't fill the bookstores with all our helpful tips, Is is that our danger? What is the danger here? Why does Jesus say these words? He actually tells us. But before he tells us why he tells us these words, he wants to point out where the hate comes from. He says basically what Taylor Swift says, haters are going to hate. Haters are going to hate. Look at verse 18 to 25. See, as we keep seeing each week in John's Gospel, John's Gospel is a unique book among the four Gospels. See, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that are kind of synced together, John is different. John is a different Gospel. You'll notice as you get your Bible in front of you, and I hope you have, as you look in your Bible in John's Gospels, the first 12 chapters are all about Jesus' public ministry. But then we come across to 12, 13, 14, 15, and we actually see five chapters, five chapters are just one conversation. Five chapters, one night, one conversation, and in this conversation, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's speaking to us about our discipleship. He already has said in verse 17, by the way, these things I command you that you love one another. So verse 17, the immediate context of our passage today, last week Jesus was saying, love is the command. The command is to love. And as they walk now from the upper room where they shared the last supper as they walk to the garden of gethsemane they're walking and talking and having this conversation and Jesus has said the hour is come the cross is looming large Jesus now turns to the subject of what is the cross about it is about hate Jesus point is this as he goes to a cross friends remember what the cross is We sanitise the cross. The cross is not just Jesus' option for leaving this world. And he kind of picks one. What would I pick? Elijah's chariot? Yeah, it's been done. Would I pick perhaps um, some other way that's grand or extraordinary? What does Jesus willingly go towards? A cross, it's an emblem of hate. And so he picks up this emblem and he says, I'm going there, I want you to know something, friends. And his point is this, as he goes to the cross, you're either in the world or you're in Christ. Jesus has been speaking about the abide in me language and his point is this, you're either abiding in the world, you can't help living in the world, right? We're here, you got up in the morning and we live still on this planet. You're either abiding though, your life is found in the world or your life is found in Christ. There can be no middle ground here. Now, when Jesus used the word world here, it's important we understand the context of what he's talking about, because the word world is significant in John's gospel. There are three ways you see the world used, the word world, so for the sake of saying the word world, the word is used, cosmos, right? It's a Greek word. You can imagine where we get from cosmos, cosmic, the universe, the world. Well, that word cosmos is used, it's used in three particular ways. We see that across the Bible, we see it in, in John's Gospel here. The first way, when, when the word cosmos or world is used, it, it's a way that describes all people, Jew and Gentile, all people in the world. most famous passage in the world describes that. Can you think of it? John 3.16. How is it to say the world is described? For God to love the world. So we see there that, that the world, the word world, cosmos, can be used to describe all types of people around the world, that God loves all types of people in the world that he would send his son that whoever believes from all types of people in the world they will not perish. That's that's the first way he uses the word world. I think it's wonderful actually that John, who writes his gospel, who also writes three letters, first, second, third, John, also writes a book Revelation. And in Revelation 7, what do we see in Revelation 7? John has his vision of heaven, and what do we see? There are people from all tribes, nations, and tongues from all around the world who have believed in Jesus and who praise him by the blood of the Lamb that saves. It's a wonderful description. The first way that John uses the word world is to describe all types of people in the world who need saving. Let's, Let's hold that first. Secondly, the second way the word world or cosmos is used, even in John's gospel, the second way it's used is to describe just the created universe that we exist in, the world you woke up in this morning. An example of that is the very last verse of John's Gospel. The very last verse of John's Gospel says this, Now, there are many other things that Jesus did, but were every one of them to be written, I suppose the whole world itself would not contain the books that could be written. Now, he's not talking about people that need saving. He's talking about just, there's not enough room in this building to have all the books that Jesus said and did. There's not enough room, in fact, in Australia. There's enough room in the whole world to describe all that we could describe about what Jesus came and said and did that's the second use and then there's a third use and this is the use that is the predominant use in John's gospel the third use of the world third use of the word cosmos is to describe godless humanity Consistently throughout John's gospel, when Jesus uses this word, particularly here, he's describing a world that is godless and hates God. And so we see verse 19, John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you. If you abided in the world, the world would love you. In fact, Jesus says it would love you as its own. Oh, come in, you're in in our family as its own. But, Jesus says, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus uses the word world to describe the total attitude of human rebellion against God. It's the primary way it's used in this passage. He's teaching his disciples basic fundamental things of what it means to be a disciple. To be a Christian, to have the word Christ at the start of your name, That's who you are, that's your identity, is to be of Christ. If he is hated, if Christ is hated, Christians, Christians are going to be hated too. Jesus has already said this, he's used this phrase, but he says it in verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep your word. There are two ways to live in the world. And Jesus is saying, because of what is about to happen to him at the cross, we are not far from being treated that way too. Friends, we need to absorb this and just reflect upon this. Our Lord and God came in flesh, And was persecuted. Jesus was vilified and then crucified. He was mocked. He was jeered at. He was made fun of. And all the jokes weren't funny. They were spiteful. And this is how the world feels and functions towards Jesus' people with hate. Paul writes to Timothy. Second Timothy three verse twelve indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I feel the ejections, right? I can I can I can sense it coming. Oh no 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 hate's a very pointed word. Don't use the word hate. Well it's not me that used it. Like I work hard at the translations. I'm looking at the word, there's no other it's 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 hate, right? It's it's not no, 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 ambivalence. It's not dislike, it's not I'm not cool with, it's not I'm kind of a little bit halfway with. Australians love sitting on a fence. It's not I'm sort of there, it's not even agnostic, it's not an atheistic, it's I hate, I, I, I hate. It's the same language that's used for hate equals murder by Jesus. Hate is a pointy word. Because hate seeks to hurt people and harm people. They didn't put Jesus on a cross to tickle him, tickle to death. Now some might say, oh, "I don't hate Christ. I don't hate. Christ. I like Jesus." But we need to see the context of this conversation. Because friends, this is not Christianity or Jesus with a victim complex. We're not having a persecution complex here. Jesus is not playing the victim with a victim mentality. Jesus has come into the world to reveal God and rescue the world. Jesus comes, sent by God the Father to save and gather his people. And the reason that God the Son has been sent on this rescue mission is because of what Jesus says next. They already hated God the Father in the first place. Jesus doesn't come to rescue us from poor education. And Jesus is not going to rescue us because, you know, we're not all kind of getting along. And it's not like a parent comes to the playpen. Hey, what's going on here? Hey, 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 hey. Stop, stop, stop it. Stop it. Just play nice and you'll get your iPads. God doesn't come in just to kind of just bring some calm to the playpen. He comes in because the people in the playpen hate him. And they hate that he comes in. hate got a hate ever since genesis 3 it's a traditional hate and it's also an irrational hate look what jesus says verse 21 This is the stuff of Cain and Abel, friends. Verse 21. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. We live in a world that has an active hate for God. It's not ambivalence, it's active. The world does not want to be in the presence of God. If it would, the whole world would be now in the presence of God by trusting him. They don't, and so we have Jesus coming to the world. Now, friends, I hear the next objection, but there's a lot of nice people in the world, and nice people like Jesus. But you need to really reflect on Jesus' words here. You could be the nicest person on the street... And you can actually use your niceness as a barrier to relationship with God. You can be a nice person and you can just want to, yeah, in your nicety, keep God at a distance. Keep relationship, real relationship with God at a distance and just play nice. No thanks, but I can be nice. Sure, you're not plotting to kill Christians. You're not going to do that. But if you are blocking God out of your life, you don't love him. Now, Ever since the beginning, we've been trying to do that in sophisticated ways. So we don't want to have God in our life with real relationship. And so what do we do? Hmm, I'm going to imagine God is not like that. I'm going to imagine God something like that. We build images and idols and, and find other ways that we say, that's my God over here very sophisticated of course we wouldn't do that in our day and age we we don't make idols and have them on our mantelpiece because we're in the western part of the world we're so intelligent and sophisticated so we don't have idols at all except we look in the mirror and go oh give my life to that thing that image ever since the beginning we have been trying to make our own image of God we make ourselves God we make God irrelevant And we try and cut God out of our lives. And what does that lead to? Confusion. Confused about love. Approval, affirmation even, is not love. Jesus has already said what real love is. In John 15 verse 13 he says this, greater love has none than this that someone would lay their life down for their friends. Now who loves like that? Jesus is about to. The world has not grown to like Jesus any more today than they did back then. The hate is deep in our hearts. We cover it with thinly veiled smiles. Even other religions that are syncretistic will say, Yeah. I I like Jesus, I'll I'll add him to my religion because I've got other gods as well. Ignoring the fact that Jesus said there's no other way to the Father except through me. So you adding Jesus to your gods is actually totally ignoring what Jesus said and you might as well say, I don't want you at all. Friends, listen to God. Listen to Jesus. It is as clear as on the page of the Bible in front of you. Jesus comes, he says, to do the works, even the works of God. Look at verse 24. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and who? Hated me and my father. Think of this. They've got the walking, talking solution to humanity's problem. They've got the walking, talking, revelation of God. He heals the sick, brings the dead back to life, teaches people how to love, brings us forgiveness with God, and yet, what do we think we'll do with him? Let's kill him. Let's get rid of him. Because they hate him. We even see in our call to worship, we saw in our call to worship and in our cross-reference passage reading, both times, Jesus quotes this, we see there's no reason to hate Jesus. Look at this, Jesus says, verse 25, But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Jesus has not hurt anyone. Can you think of a time when Jesus hurt anyone, harmed anyone? Even when he got angry, righteously angry, and turned some tables, made a whip. We have no hearing that that whip made contact with anyone and hurt anyone. Here is someone that the governor of the day of the Roman court says, I find nothing guilty in this person. Perfect man! And yet they hated him without cause. Why do people hate Jesus? Why do people hate Jesus? Because Jesus' words and works expose their underlying hate of God the Father ever since the beginning. Paul writes to the Corinthian church We are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing, to one is a fragrance from death to death, the other a fragrance from life to life. Paul says, basically, it's like wearing perfume or cologne. Some people who hear the gospel actually repent and believe, and that's wonderful. That's God's growing church. Some people smell that, hear that, and they want nothing to do with it. It's like a perfume of death. You see, to not abide in Christ is to be of the world. Jesus says, if you are of the world, they'd love us. But we're hated because we're not of the world. A Christian church is a church that says, I don't just sign up to a club, I'm not just members of an organisation. A Christian church is a church that says, I identify as being of Christ. That's my identity. It's actually core to who I am. I identify as being of Christ. And so we're hated. But I want to also say something else into the room that happens in Christian culture, which should not be, but I think happens, is sometimes we as Christians then hear these words and then go, oh yeah, we're going to be hated. And now we want to almost like seek to be hated. Like we make it our pastime. Reforming, we don't seek to be hated. If you seek to be hated, if you want to be hated, you might need some help to think through that particularly from what Jesus is saying here in John's Gospel. See, we're not not to be hated because we're hateful. We're not to be hated because we're behaving badly. We're not to be hated because we're just being a jerk. No, we actually are meant to be all in with Jesus, which means we actually respond with love. So you, you may think, Also, though, well, you're not hated for being a Christian. Perhaps you've never felt any, you've never been defriended for being a Christian. I have. From high school friends that are dear to me, I I went on shooting expeditions with them. I went to their weddings, married one of them. (laughs) Because I'm a Christian now in the climate we live in, defriended, won't talk to me. Amy's the same. You may never have had that. That's maybe never been your experience I've never been hated. In fact, I've been liked for being a Christian. I want to say, well, praise God. Firstly, maybe you just need to grow a little bit older and see what happens. Secondly, but thirdly, if you've never been hated for being a Christian, remember, when you put on the team jersey, the team jumper that says you're Christian, you join a worldwide team of people that are hated for being Christian. You join that team. And this is not the time and season to forget the persecuted church in our prayers and generosity. Jesus even says, and here's where it gets extraordinary for him, but also for us. Jesus even says in chapter 16, verse 2, people who look like of the same religion even will even hate us. Look at this. You could even be from progressive or liberal churches they look like they're of the same religion in the world's eyes. They're, oh, that's a Christian church, and you're a Christian church. And then what happens is this, they will try and court the world's love by using, um, faithful churches like us as click and kill bait. So if, if you disagree on a particular issue, and where's a, a faithful church when I say, well, this is what the Bible says. We say it quietly. We're not trying to seek to be hated. This is what the Bible says. What happens is the progressive liberal church looks like to the world and media. Well, that's a church as well. They say, yeah, they don't really love people and you know they're, they're awful and, and so forth and so on. And what happens is, verse 16, uh, 16, verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. God would not want faithful churches to say this, so let's just pillar them. And so in a world that hates Jesus and his church, Jesus comes to say something to us. Two things. These two things are briefer than that first point. These two things. One, calling on the witnesses. Look at verse 26. There's a but. There's a but in verse 26. See, what happens for us in our world is we hear all about how the world's going to hate Jesus and the world hates us. And I intentionally wanted to stay there for a while because what happens to our society amongst Christians and churches is we let that boil too long. Boil up and we get angry and we need to read verse 26. There's a but. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. See, in this nighttime conversation that Jesus is having the disciples, he's spoken about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's spoken about the Trinity. You can hear a sermon recently. Go to our website. You can hear about the Triune God. And now Jesus focuses on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who says he is a Spirit of truth. He will come, and he's going to come in power. And this particular power that Jesus speaks about is the power to witness. Now, in the Bible, there are different types of witnessing. So Jesus sends out the 12, the 12 disciples who become the 12 apostles. The Greek word apostolos means sent one. So the apostles are sent. Now, of course, as they walk into the Garden of Gethsemane, do you know the number of them by now? Well, there's 11 because Judas has already gone out to do his thing. He's going to meet them at the garden for his other purposes that we'll see soon. There's 11, but they do get a replacement, the 12, and to get the replacement who is Matthias, how do they do that? They have a job description for an apostle in Acts chapter 1. They have to have seen the risen Jesus, been with him in his public ministry, all these things that, by the way, none of us today could claim to have done. We don't have those type of witnesses today. We don't have those apostles. People that claim they're an apostle need to read Acts 1. There are no such thing today. But Jesus is also talking about another type of witnessing. Not an eyewitnessing, and the word he uses is interesting. Do you know what the word for witness is here in the New Testament? It's the word martyr. So it's materio in Greek, but it's where so we get the word martyr from. And Jesus says, I'm going to send you out as materio, as, as as witnesses, as martyrs. A witness is someone who testifies to the truth. You call witnesses when? When there's all these claims about someone that are false. Call in the witnesses. You call in the martyrs. And what do these martyrs, what do these witnesses do? They do what we saw this morning. With Edith and Abraham, what do they do? They testify. They give their witness, their account. This is how Jesus has changed my life. And Jesus is saying, I know you're going to feel the hate. I know haters are going to hate, 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 hate. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I know it's going to be like that. But get this, I'm sending my Holy Spirit in power and he's going to see you not cower back and not get angry. He's going to see you respond with words and witness and testimony to Jesus. Because this is the third point. The Holy Spirit comes to help us in a needy world. Look at verse 8, chapter 16, verse 8. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. What is the purpose statement of John's gospel, friends? You've been with us in this series, you know this. What is the purpose statement of John's gospel in chapter 20? It's up on the screen. John writes this gospel that you may believe and have life. You know, Jesus is sending the Spirit into a world of hate to bring the message of life. Christ will send the Spirit in power, proceeding from the Father. Thank you, Nicene Creed. Proceeding from the Father and the Son. This means we clearly see the Holy Spirit is not doing his own thing, the Holy Spirit is not about the Holy Spirit. We see whole movements and churches. It's all about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not about the Holy Spirit. You see this? The Holy Spirit comes. Look at Jesus' words. The Holy Spirit comes to do three things in the world with one big thing about Jesus. It comes to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And look at verse 14. How does he do that? By glorifying Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes not to put the spotlight on himself, but to put the spotlight on Jesus. Because the world needs Jesus. People often say, you know, in, in faithful churches, "Oh, where's the Holy Spirit here? He's here. He's among us. He's pointing to Jesus. That's what he's doing. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to make a big deal of himself, but for him and us to make a big deal of Jesus, because our world is needy. Because the world of hate needs Jesus. The world of hate needs to see what love is. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes and applies the work of Jesus. What Jesus achieves on the cross, the Holy Spirit takes it and does what you and I can't do. You and I can't face a world of hate and change their minds by your own power. But the Holy Spirit can because he's the power of God. And he comes and he takes the work of the cross and goes change in people's hearts. And how do you know this happens? Because it happened to you. And it happened to me. Our world needs a clear conviction of sin. They're so confused, friends. They're so confused as to what is evil, what is wrong and right. Our world needs God to right the wrongs and to give us who are wrong righteousness. And our world needs to be clear that justice is coming yet to see. The judge came and the judge got judged on the cross for you. Not to be judged, ever, if you would just turn and trust in him. Because here's my question. When you look at the cross that Christ is about to go to, where do we see sin, righteousness and judgment meet? Reforming right now, anyone who's reforming just like straight away, where do we see sin, righteousness and judgment meet? It's at the cross. It's at the cross. Jesus comes into a world of hate to love and lays life down, even for those who hated him. And what is he doing? Friends, he's sending us into that world too, to be like him. So if you're hated for being of Christ, what are you most in danger of? Not being liked? Is that our problem? It's not our problem. Jesus tells us actually in chapter 16 verse 1, why does Jesus say all this? Here it is. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. This is where we finish, friends. This is why Jesus said it. You need to hear this clearly. Christians, Christians around the world, and Christians around the world don't listen to me necessarily, or you and I, but like if you happen to be listening and you're not a reforming church, but particularly Reforming Church, us who are here, Jesus does not say these things to make us angry. I think there has been whole ministries and platforms built upon Christian anger and that is unhealthy, it's ungodly, it's unbiblical. If you build your whole platform your reason for existence and having a voice in our society so that you can get Christians angry about people being angry at them, what are you doing? You're not doing what Jesus tells you to do. Jesus does not tell us these words to stir us up into a frenzy of frenetic social media response and anger. How dare they? Cancel! Blah, 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 blah. He does not tell these words for us to do that. Why do we do that? That's a natural human reaction. The supernatural reaction, now that we've got the Holy Spirit, is to not respond that way. Now, through the Spirit's power. Why does Jesus say this? So that First of all, we don't fall away. The greatest danger the church faces is not a bad name, and it's not being hated. It's not even persecution. The greatest danger you and I face is that we would fall away from following Jesus and do our own thing. Or just not be with Jesus at all and just leave Jesus out of the picture. But today, friends, you get to see what's really going on with the power of the Holy Spirit. We have no need to fall away, even when there's hate, because we have the helper, the Holy Spirit. Friends, you will see in this week, perhaps, jokes made on places like the Project TV. You may have saw it. Maybe you didn't, and you go and see it later. If you do see it later, and you're not ready, and Sort of seeing for the joke about Jesus. Can you remember Jesus' words? Remember the gospel. Remember the cross. Because as they make jokes about Jesus, and it seems spiteful, and you know all that sort of thing, and you feel things. I get it. We feel things. Don't respond with anger. Instead, here's how you get to respond. Think on the cross. As they make jokes about Jesus, even a joke about Jesus on the cross, what is the cross? The cross is designed as the instrument of mockery. The cross is designed as the instrument of mockery, of hatred, of a world that thinks Jesus is a joke. And yet, that is the thing that God chooses to be the power in the world to save, even hateful people. The cross is where we receive grace and forgiveness for our own hate, my hate, your hate. That's the cross. That's where we receive it. So friends, is it possible we could give grace and forgiveness to others in their hate? Absolutely. i to tell you a little story to finish. There's a church father in early church history. His name is Tertullian. Cool name, if you're naming kids one day. But Tertullian said... You know, when you kill Christians, you hate them, and perhaps they die. The blood of the martyrs, the blood of the witnesses, is the seed of the church. Because Rome thinks in its day, oh, we'll, we'll, hate the, we'll, we'll kill them, and then we'll get rid of them. And Tertullian says, you know what's going to happen? And he writes later, we filled your courthouses, your places of shops and marketplaces, your armies, your political halls of power. We filled them, there's Christians everywhere. Because when people see us responding not with anger, not with hate, but with the power of the gospel, of the cross, and says, yeah, the cross is actually about that. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's what changes the world. In a few weeks' time, we're going to have a Q&A event in a pub. Lord willing, I should say, James writes. The events committee are organising it. It's going to be a great event. Botanical Hotel, if you're not sure what that is... It's just down the street. It's not far from here. Palm Sunday afternoon. It's pretty quiet. We've seen how quiet it is, but we would love to invite our friends to come along and ask questions about Easter, about Christianity, have a Q&A. Now, I've seen Q&As, and I've seen them go sideways, humanly speaking. So imagine this. Imagine that Q&A is happening, and whether it's me on the panel or it's a few of us, I don't know yet. We'll work it out. But imagine the panelists are getting hammered. Like, imagine someone brings someone along or someone sees the advert and they go, oh, this is going to be just like, you know, Christians and the Lions. And imagine we're just getting absolutely hammered. And there's someone standing at a microphone in the room and they're just hammering us. And and we just reply with love and grace and gentleness and meekness. Imagine that happens. You might be tempted to think we lost. Like the, the angry person, the hateful person won. They had the microphone But then imagine this, imagine you're sitting there with your friend and you're going, oh, Oh, Russ, I just wish you were smarter. If you had a smart comment for that reply, that would have been better. Yeah, bam, you would have won. Whoa. Oh, we need a better pastor. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Maybe not. But imagine you're just feeling it, right? Don't think it's just the hateful, angry, loud people in the room who are really looking for Jesus too and need Jesus too. Imagine you turn to your friend and you say to your friend, um, so um, uh, what do you think of that? But imagine your friend says, well, I don't know about that. My grandfather died last week and I'd like to know what Jesus says about death. There is a quiet crowd of people looking on who need to know about Jesus. And we've got all the power in the universe, in the world even, to share what we know about Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word to us. We pray that we now, looking at that world that may have hate now, would recognize that we once were enemies of you. And so we pray that we would be encouraged by your word that we would be equipped to pray, that we would be ready for the hate and love like it's going out of fashion, that we'd be ready to not fall away, that we would be, by believing in Jesus, finding our hope safe in him. We thank you that hatred didn't quench the compassion of Christ, and it won't quench ours by your spirit working in us. And we pray now that we would hold on to this, that Jesus our hope would be, knowing that yet, Not I, but through Christ in me. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.